This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Morning. Happy, uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is, is where we're going to be, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there, there are some on the table right outside that door. Um, you're more than welcome to go grab one, but, it, but if not, just know that you can grab it on your way out. We'd love for you to have one. If you've got a friend, a roommate, a coworker, uh, just someone that doesn't have a Bible that you know of, take it and give it away. Uh, we, just, we really just want people to have uh, the Word of God. So for us, uh, we, we always want to start here. Um, I, I'm, I am going to mess up way too much. So is everyone else. We believe God's Word stands the test of time for all of eternity, and so we want to come from here. Uh, and so that is why we invite you to, to have your Bibles and to, to read straight from there, uh, because that's where we're coming from. So Ephesians chapter 4, um, go ahead and read. Uh, that's the wrong way. Let me go ahead and read the verses. Uh, so we've got several verses today uh, that we're going through. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the body, bond of peace, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, builds the bo- makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." God, we ask that you would allow us to understand this truth, to open our eyes and our ears, that we may see and hear your word. It's in Jesus we ask. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, this is where Paul takes a turn in the the book of Ephesians. So the first three chapters is a heavy emphasis on theology, on who God is, on on the foundation of faith, right, the gospel. And then Ephesians 4, it takes a turn into the practical. So Ephesians 1 through 3 is addressing our belief, what we believe, and then Paul's assuming based on that belief, our behavior will look differently, right? And so he starts with the gospel and theology, and then in chapter 4, he turns the corner to a more practical understanding of what our lives should look like in response to Ephesians 1 and 3. So, um, and have you ever, one of the thoughts I had in, in just reading this is, 
being a part of a team or a club or an organization. Anyone ever been a part of a team in their entire lifetime? Yes, I love participation. It's so much better. Um, if not a team, maybe like a band or a club or theater or uh, a, a job, right, where you're not just your own, like you're working as a part of a company. Um, and so we've all had a part. You know, what happens, right, if someone on your team or if someone a part of the company doesn't play their role? Right, so the spring game was last night, UT. Um, what happens if the offensive line just doesn't block? Right, it's not going to go well for Ellinger. Like, he's not going to make it long, okay? What happens if we go to, last year we went to one of Dorothy's concerts. I lost you, right? Like, what, what happens if we go to Dorothy's concert and the wind instruments just don't play? Right, like, it's not, it's not going to sound very well. The, the concert is going to be pretty, pretty sad. Or if you're a part of a job or a company and, and part of the department, so let's say you're a part of Austin ISD and the teachers just decide to go on strike and not teach. Like it's not, it's not going to go well, right? So we've all been a part of things. Maybe you've been a part of one of the dreaded group projects in school. I hated group projects. Um, anyone else with me just despise group projects? Yes, it is, that is a minute, hand shot up for that one. That was great. I hated group projects. But, but what happens, right, when people don't start playing, like doing their part, then then it starts to break down, it starts to suffer. Other people have to try and pick up the weight, right? And it gets, it gets overwhelming. When, when we don't do our part, when we're a part of a group and we don't do our part, it starts to break down. It starts to fall apart. That's going to happen in teams, that's going to happen in, in clubs, it's going to happen in your job, right? If we don't, we get hired to do a role, and if we don't do that role, then the company itself starts to suffer. Paul's point in Ephesians 4 as we turn the corner it's the same with the church. That with the church, we all have a role to play. And if we don't do our part, the church begins to suffer. The body itself does not grow up in the way that it's supposed to. And we all begin to suffer if we don't play our part. Th that's, that's what Paul is getting to here in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's jump to the end real fast and then we'll come back to verse 1. So verse 15 and 16. The end of the verses that we're reading. So this gives us really where Paul is building up to. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That phrase, grow up, man, if I could just lock onto something, that, that is what Paul's saying, grow up, right? Like we're, we're to grow up, stop being a child in your faith, stop, stop being, you know, stop being a, a, a boy or a girl in a man or a woman's body, right? Like it's time to grow up in our faith. We're to grow up into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul's point here in Ephesians 4, grow up in Christ, but that's only going to happen when the whole body is doing its part. We're to grow up in Christ, but we need one another, every one of us, to play our part if we are to build each other up in love. That's Paul's main point as we get here into Ephesians chapter 4, um, in verses 1 through 16. The, Grow up into Christ. That's, that's our goal. That's the end game. Right, that is what God desires for us, is to look more and more and more like Jesus. That today, you and I will reflect who Christ is more than we did yesterday. And that tomorrow, we will reflect who Christ is more than we do today. That we're to progressively grow into Christ. The word that the Bible describes that as a sanctification. 
This ongoing process of growing in Christ. That is our purpose. Romans 8, 29 says we were predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is God's game plan for you and for me. It's to grow up into Christ, to look more and more like Jesus. And Paul's making the point here that we have to work together in order to accomplish that end goal. If I'm going to be all that I can be in Christ, I need you. I need you to do your part. And if you are going to be all that you can be in Christ, you need me. And you need the people beside you. We all need each other to grow up in Christ. So let's start again. That's the end. Let's start again at verse 1 and kind of work back to that. So verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live your lives, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Christ-likeness, that is the manner that we've been called to walk in. We've been called to walk in his footsteps. That is what he's talking about. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Represent Christ well. Represent being a little Christ, Christian. That's what it means. Represent Christ well in your lives. Walk in a manner worthy of that. But this is the effect Right? Paul uses that huge word that's incredibly important in understanding what he's saying, therefore. Right? That word therefore is a cause and effect word. Right? The effect is walk in a manner worthy of Christ. The cause is something else. So we have to know, okay, what, what is the therefore therefore? Like what is, what is Paul pointing us backwards to that gives us the cause for the effect that is to come? And in this case, Paul is pointing back to chapters 1 through 3. So let's just read chapters 1 through 3 together. I'm kidding. We're not going to read all those chapters. I'll summarize it. I'll summarize it by going to Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul writes and he says, you were dead in your sins. Because we've all sinned, because we've all gone our own way, God said, hey, trust me and follow me. And every single one of us at some point in our life has said, God, I'm going to do my own thing. Like, I think this is better. That looks good. I'm trusting this. This is easier. And we've all walked away at some point from God. And the Bible calls that sin. And the Bible says the wages of our sin, what we earn for our sin is death, is separation from God. And so Paul is just saying, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now let me ask you a question about dead things. What's attractive about something dead? Right, like you ever, you ever been driving down the road and there's a dead cat and you're like, oh, I love that cat, I want that cat. Like that's a little gross and gross, like it's a little gruesome, but no, because there's nothing attractive about dead things, right? Let's just blunt and call it. And yet we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There's nothing attractive about dead things, yet, verse four, God is rich in mercy and still with great love for us. We're dead in our sins, and yet God looks at us in love and moves near, like moves near to make us his own, that we were dead, but because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Like we're dead in our sins, and God still is like, I love them. I'm going to move near to make them alive in Christ. 
I'm going to do the work to resurrect their dead lives in Christ. And not only that, but he has raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is what Paul is anchoring everything to. It's the gospel that we're, we're dead in our sins. Like we, we don't deserve it, we're not going to deserve it, and yet God chooses to set his love on us and to move near to us and to raise us up through Jesus. That Jesus in my place lives the life I was expected to live. And Jesus in my place dies the death that I deserve to die. And then when he rises from the dead, he offers us this exchange where he will take our sins and give us his life. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, simply because he chose to give it. That is grace. And this is the gospel, and this is what Paul says causes the effect of us walking in a manner worthy of Christ. When we realize what Christ has done for us, when we realize the gospel, it naturally causes the effect of us desiring to follow him. It naturally causes that effect. To, to lay down our lives, to submit our lives to him. That's why Paul says he's a prisoner for the Lord because he surrendered his life to Jesus. Following Christ is a total surrender. We don't get to follow Jesus 90% of the way, but 10% of the way say, I'm gonna hold on to my own thing. We don't get to say, hey, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you over here, but I'm gonna keep doing that as well. Following Jesus is submitting everything to him and saying, all right, everything is on the table, right? Every aspect of life is on the table. You call the shots and tell me what to do. How do I live my life? How do I interact with my coworkers? How do I spend my money? How do I handle sexuality? How do I handle the, the temptations around me? What do, everything we lay on the table and say, all right, Jesus, I'm, I'm yours. I'm a prisoner. I surrender to you. That doesn't mean we get it perfect, but it means that we lay it on the table and we're willing to let go and not hold on tightly to anything. Because when we hold on tightly to anything, that becomes our God. And God said, you can't have me and another God. It's one or the other. And so Paul says we surrender to him because of what he's done for us, because of his kindness. We're moved to repentance, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So let me ask you this. Would you say this describes you? Would you say that your life right now is walking in a manner worthy of the gospel? That your life represents Christ well? That you're a good representation, ambassador of Jesus? Is this true of you? If not, perhaps it's because you, you haven't surrendered your life to the gospel to Christ. You haven't said yes to following Jesus. And the invitation from Jesus is, come follow. Let's go. Lay down your life, trust me, and follow me. For others, you've probably trusted Christ, but you'd also still say, man, I don't know that I'm representing him well. And the reality is then, we, we've just kind of lost sight of Ephesians 1 through 3. We've lost sight of the gospel. We're not believing the value of it. We're kind of believing that something else is better. And the call of Paul is to refocus our mind and our eyes on what Christ has done, on the cause that then leads us to the effect of following in his footsteps.
So where are you? The Bible's not meant just to be read. It's meant to, to apply into our lives. And so where are you? What would you say is true of you? Therefore, because of what Christ has done, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now from here, Paul could go into a number of things. Right? Like there's so many ways for our lives to represent Christ. You know, it could be in, in, serving, um, in serving outside of the church. It could be in, in going to the, to the nations, right? It could be in, in giving or in worship. But Paul then takes this church, the, the church in Ephesus, and then because we're here, our church, into our relationship with one another. He looks around at the church first and he says, all right, let's start here. Let's start with you and me and how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which is what makes verse 2 and 3 so makes, makes so much sense. He says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Look, we are to grow up in Christ. That's what it means to walk in that manner. And we need one another to do that. We need each other. And so in order to do that, we have to walk in all humility, all times, all places, all people, all humility. I don't know if, if Paul meant, I mean, he's inspired by the Spirit, so God knows what he's doing, but that word humility, I don't know if that it first matters, but I agree, I've been reading this book by Andrew Murray, um, creatively titled Humility, uh, and so it, it's a fantastic book, little book too, by the way. I like little books because I'm a great book starter, terrible book finisher, um, and so little books are encouraging because I can actually get to the end. But Andrew Murray makes the point that the, the chief virtue of Christ and that we are to emulate is humility. That if we can grab hold of and put on humility, everything else will follow. And so Paul describes humility in Philippians 2, 3 through 4 by saying, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. In humility Lift others up higher than yourself. Choose to take the lower position. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, like, you know, oh, no, I'm, I'm terrible, I'm awful. Like, that's actually a false, it's actually pride when we do that. It's not actually humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is simply thinking of yourself less often. If we are going to help one another, we have to think of others before we think of ourselves. Otherwise, we're just going to push other people down as we climb up our own way. But if we're going to do this, it starts with humility. Jesus is the ultimate model of humility. Jesus, the eternal God himself, the one who, who was active in the creation of all things, the one who's active in creating you and me, the king of this world, willingly lets go of his spot in heaven, his rightful status and position, and he comes and he takes the position of servant to you and to me. Jesus, the king of this world, comes and lifts you up and takes the position beneath you. That is humility. The one who deserved to sit on the throne, the one who had the right, who didn't have, he didn't owe us anything, but he willingly stepped in to serve us and to humble himself. A quote from that book by Murray, his humility was simply the surrender of himself to God to allow him to do in him what he pleased, whatever men around might say of him or do to him. 
Like I'm great, I, I'm, I'm good with humility before God. Let's just be honest, okay? Right? I'm, I'm great with that because he's God. Where humility gets tough for me is here. Because a lot of times I just think I'm better than other people. I haven't messed up as much as them. I can do something better. I deserve this. I'm owed this. I've worked hard. I treated that person well. Why would they, right? Let's, I know I'm not alone, so you can either agree or not, but I know it's there. Eh, come on, amen. There we go, yes, right? Humility before God is oftentimes easy because we're like, it's God. But then when we look around the people around us, we're like, oh, but now I'm supposed to lower myself to, does God know how he treated me? And I'm supposed to prefer him above myself? Does God know what she's done? And I'm supposed to humble my, but if we're going to build each other up, it's only going to happen as we humble ourselves and lift each other up rather than push each other down. That's it. Humility, gosh, it changes everything. So with all humility and then all gentleness, this word, it, it, it describes a way that we act humble towards one another, right? Gentleness is not being harsh or, or critical or rude or defensive. Gentleness oftentimes surfaces in a tense situation where maybe we've been wronged with someone and all we want to do is just get back, right? Like all we want to do is just bow up and throw down. Like you wronged me and now I just want to, let's just, let's go. Let's do this. Let, let's talk about this, right? Now let's not talk about me, let's talk about you. But gentleness rather responds compassionately and empathetically and is slow to anger. Man, how many tense situations can be diffused in an instant if rather than getting defensive and argumentative, we were gentle and caring? Well, I can think about Jesus. We're moving into Good Friday, right? He's in the garden, and this mob comes around him to arrest him. His, one of his best friends, Judas, betrays him. Like, that's a situation, right, where you're like, what are you doing? Like, you want to get a little hostile. Peter's like, let me defend you. Jesus pulls out a sword, chops off dude's ear. Like, how you just cut off one guy's ear, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, did he dodge or is this Peter just a bad miss? Like, I don't understand it. Cuts off the guy's ear, right? So we're talking, this is a situation where things can escalate real quick. But what does Jesus do? He gently picks up old dude's ear and just puts it back on. He puts his ear back on his head. Right? Like, he gently responds and the situation changes. He's on the cross and he's praying for forgiveness for the people who put him there. Like, that is gentleness. That's gentleness. And we're called with all gentleness to treat one another. With all patience, Paul urges us to walk with patience. Another word you could use there is long-suffering. Right, like it's seeing the end goal and not focusing on the here and now and patiently enduring, patiently bearing with one another. Man, do we need patience, right? Like this is, patience is why I could never be an elementary school teacher because two plus two equals four. Like how do you not get that? Like I just don't understand how you, come on, right? Like, like I don't have patience, especially in areas where I think someone should get it. You know, we lose our patience a lot when we're like, okay, we've told you this before. Not once, not twice, ten times. 
and I just lose patience. Or, or patience really when I think that, like, I wouldn't do that. So then I lose my patience because I don't want to mess with you because I wouldn't do something stupid like that. And we lose our patience. And what we do when we lose our patience is we just push people down. We don't encourage people. But if we could stop and think, man, how has God been patient with me? Come on, man. I'd have given up on me a long time ago. Because there's been so many times, like, God, I'm going to get it this time. I'm going to do it right this time. 30 minutes later, nope. Here I am. God, I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to get it this time. I'm going to get it. 30 minutes later, right? But God has demonstrated such patience with me. He sees the end game, and he bears with me. He doesn't, he doesn't push me down. He doesn't discourage me. He's patient with me. We've got to be patient with one another if we're going to build one another up in love. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in all humility and gentleness and patience. And then he says, put in the work necessary to maintain that. Bear with one another. Look, y'all, this is tough, man. People are messy. Right? Like, is that not the understatement of the world? People are messy. We're selfish. I want what I want, how I want, when I want, and don't get in my way. Like, that, that's just our natural default and bent. And so Paul says, okay, know that, but bear with one another. Don't grow weary of doing good, he says in Galatians 6. Press on. Maintain the work of unity. You only maintain something that can break down, right? If it never has a chance of breaking down, you don't maintain it. But if you maintain it, you put in the active work of keeping it, right? You want to maintain your 4.0 GPA, right? All of you college students with that 4.0, you want to maintain that? You've got to put in the active work in order to maintain that. You want to maintain your car to last? Change the oil, right? Maybe that's a reminder right now for somebody like, oh, dang, I'm I'm like 5,000 miles over. Yeah, go change the oil. Your car will keep running. You maintain things. You put in the work for things that matter. If it doesn't matter to you, you're not going to maintain it. You're not going to put in the work. If the relationship doesn't matter to you, you're not going to maintain it. You're not going to bear with one another. Right? So we have to maintain unity. We have to fight for that. We have to work for that. Why? Why? Why is it so important that with everybody in here, we maintain unity, we, we bear with one another, that we treat each other with humility and gentleness and patience. Why is that so important? Well, Paul makes the point because that's the only way we build each other up, right? So we, we have to do that. But also, he then says in verse 4 and 5 that it's our unity that represents the unity of the one true God. He says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There, there's, there's, there's a word in there that's really repetitive, right? It's the word one. Paul's point is we have to be one because God is one. There's one God represented in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. You're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. 
We're saved because the Father sends the Son and the Son responds in obedience and the Spirit opens our, our minds and our hearts to believe. So there's Father, Son, and Spirit, but there's only one God and they're unified in perfect love and care and unity. And when we as the church are not unified together, we don't represent a unified God. We're a poor representation of the God of the Bible when all we do is fight with each other and care more about ourselves and we don't bear with one, with one another and we're not gentle towards one another. We're a poor representation of this God. We cannot walk in the manner worthy of the calling. So if we want to follow Christ and represent him well, unity is not an option. We have to walk together to represent God well. We intentionally choose that path. It's not easy. It's not. Let's just embrace that and own it. That's okay. It's not easy, but we can intentionally choose by the power of the Spirit in us to walk in unity. We have to. Even with people that have wronged us, that we just don't like very much, we're called to represent one family, one body under Jesus. So this is Paul's encouragement. This is what he urges us toward, to walk in unity. But not only that, he then tells us, every single one of us, is that you have a role in that. That if you've trusted Christ, you've been brought into the family of God. You've been brought into the body of Christ and there's only one body Christ is not divided and each person each member of the body has a role to play in building up the body we all have a part to play so let's go back to this idea of, of a team right like there's there's multiple roles so take the football team you've got your offense and your defense you've got your offensive line and you've got your tight ends and your receivers and your quarterbacks and your running backs like you've got then you've got your special teams and you've got your coaches and you've got all these different roles but but if if different sections are like no I'm not doing this I'm not running the route I'm not having it quarterback steps back to hand the ball off to the running back and the running back no nah, I'm good I'm just going to chill right like you're not going to win many games that way the goal of winning the games, the goal of ultimately getting to a championship, not going to happen. But every member of the team has a role, and every member of the team has to execute that role in order for it to grow and to move into the place that it is supposed to go. If our goal is Christ-likeness and we're all united into one body, every one of us has a role to play, and we have to do that in order to grow. There's no sitting on the sidelines and so Paul says here, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. By the grace of God, when we trust Christ, it says that the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us. And in so doing, gives each one of us gifts to be used for the purpose of building up the church. We each have gifts. If you are a Christian, you have spiritual gifts, gifts that the Spirit of God uses to build up the church. You have a role to play. It's not just to sit passively on the sideline, but you're in the game. And if we don't play our role, it's not going to go well. So what are your spiritual gifts? Application for you personally. What are your spiritual gifts that God has given you to use in the church? 
1 Corinthians 12 gives a list of, of several of these. You could go online if you wanted to and just type in spiritual gift inventory. And it's going to give you this like, I don't know, almost personality style, te- style test where you answer these questions. Then it's like, oh, your gifts are hospitality. Your gifts are mercy. Your gifts are evangelism, right? So it can give you all of these different things that, that gives you gifts. If you want to do that, have fun. I don't personally love them. Um, because in large part, I think a lot of times, even with these personality tests, like I love them all and they're pretty accurate, um, but, but a lot of times I'll answer how I w- think I want to be. Like, yeah, I tell people about Jesus all the time. I mean, not really, but yeah, you know, like I'll answer how I want to be and then I skew the test. And so I don't love them, but there's nothing wrong with them necessarily. So here's what I'd say in knowing your gifts, like what your gifts are as a Christian. First, make sure you have the right posture in using them, right? So our gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, are meant to be a manifestation of the Spirit. We're to use our gifts so that Christ would be seen. We're to use our gifts so that the spotlight shines brightly on Jesus, not on myself, right? Like I don't get up here, at least I'm not supposed to, to get up here and be like, let me teach because then I get to, you know, spotlight's on me. If that's the case, I'm not using the gift as God's given me. My gift is meant to be used to point to Jesus. So first, it's a posture of our heart of God. I want you to be exalted in these gifts. Whatever they are, it doesn't matter. Don't even think about what they are. Just know, God, I want you to be seen. However you've gifted me, gosh, may you be seen more and more and more and more. The second thing is the posture of humility towards others. That our gifts are meant to build others up. They're not meant to build ourselves up and to make ourselves look great. They're meant to build others up. And so the first thing I would say in in discovering what your spiritual gifts are is first start with your heart. Do you desire for your gifts to be used to make God great and then to build others up? Press into Jesus, right? Make sure our heart is right first with Jesus. Because it doesn't matter if you know your gifts and you know how to, you know, to, to implement them. If our heart's not right, then God's not honored and we're not building others up. And it defeats the whole purpose. So first we start with our heart. Then the next thing I would do practically to discover your, your spiritual gifts is just get, get in the game. Get going. Get serving. Like so many times we, we discover like, oh man, I, like, I'm not very good at that. Let me try this over here. Like I have no business working with kids. Like it's just not good. I like mine. They're great, you know, most of the time. But I don't need to lead a lot of them very often because I'm just going to lose my patience and it's going to go real bad for everybody. So, so I learned that about myself. And so I know, okay, that is not my gift. So, I, so just get in the game and try stuff. If, you, if you're like, I want to try tech, and you get up there and you hate serving with tech, don't serve with tech anymore. That's okay. You're like, I want to I wanna sing. And then you get up to sing, and everybody's like, like, kill the mic, kill it. Right? Like, eh, that, you tried, that's okay, that's great. Let's try something else, you know? So if ever someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, have you thought about, like, maybe this? Just politely say, okay, that was not my sweet spot. I'll move on to something else, right? That's okay. Just get in the game and try stuff. So often we just think about it too much and then we never do anything. Just start, just start doing things and it'll start, you'll start to discover what it is. Secondly, do what comes natural to you. 
Like, what do you love to do? What are you passionate about? What do you naturally seem to just gravitate towards or gifted towards? Like, just do what comes natural to you. Don't overthink it. Just do what comes natural. Like, you love encouraging people? Write notes. You love caring for the sick? Then care for the sick. Like you, you, you love giving? Then give, right? Like, there's, just do what comes natural. Finally, I'd say ask someone close to you. 9.98 times out of 10. It's a really scientific number. 9.98 times out of 10, other people can see what's true about you better than we can see about ourselves. We, j- we just realistically have a really bad understanding of, of who we are, but other people can see it really clearly. Ask someone close to you. Hey, what do you think? Where do you think I would be good? What do you think my gifts and strengths are? And then just go for it. Just go for it. Give it a shot. But, but know that you have gifts for a reason. God didn't give you gifts just to like sit on the shelf of life and collect dust and one day show up to heaven and be like, hey, thanks for these gifts. I did nothing with them. One day you, we all will stand before the Lord God and give account of our lives. And I believe part of his judgment will be how did you use the gifts I gave you? I 100% believe that will be part of God's judgment for all of us. Hey man, I gave you these gifts. What'd you do with them? I gave you these resources. What, how'd you use them? God doesn't give us gifts just to sit over there and do nothing. He gives us gifts to use them. And what Paul says, go again to verse, five, or verse 16. We're to grow up in Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. That's huge. When each part, take that word and just say, when I am doing my part. Not when other people, when I am doing my part, then it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has given every person who follows Jesus gifts. And it is meant to be a part of the body. You cannot be a Christian and not be a part of the local church. You just can't read the Bible and see that. You're meant to be a part of a local church and you're meant to use your gifts to build up the body. And when those gifts come together, then the body is built up in love. We've all got a role to play. Are you doing your part? I need you, you need me, we need each other. I was thinking about it, you know, this is not a tough concept to grasp. We get it in sports, we get it in bands, we get it in theaters, right? You go do a play and take out the lead like it's not going to go well. We get it in jobs and companies. Like, we understand this concept. Yet for some reason in the church, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. 10% of the people give 90% of the budget. So why is it so tough in the church? Because we get the concept. Paul's not breaking any groundbreaking news here. We understand this. One, I think, if honest, we want to be consumers rather than contributors. Like we just want to consume a product and a good. And when uh, we're not really consuming what we want, we'll take off. When I don't like Nikes anymore, I'll go to Reebok. And that's how we treat the church. 
I want to show up and I want to consume. I want to feel good. I want the, the songs to be the songs I like. Like, let me just pass my playlist over to Vince so that he can pick all the songs I want. And then maybe he can sing it just like Hillsong. Because then I will encounter the Lord. Sorry, that was not in the notes. It just, just happens, you know? But it's true. Man, the preacher, he talked too long or too short. He didn't say this right. Like, I thought this point should have been made, but that point wasn't made. And so, you know, or he made me mad. Like, that wasn't cool. Like, we just, we just want to be filled up or, you know, we're, we're consumers. And the Bible calls us to be kingdom contributors, not consumers. And I think that is the, it's a heart issue, is that we're not all that impressed with what Christ has done for us, and so we don't want to give our lives to Christ. That's, that's it. That's why Paul says, therefore, like start with the gospel, we start with the gospel, and therefore then we walk. So I think it's just we're not that impressed with the gospel, and so we just want to consume rather than, than give, rather than follow the one who gave everything for us. I think that's the first reason why it's so tough. The second reason, honestly, and, and you can hold me and Mike and anyone else accountable to this, churches are more concerned with growing than building up the church. And so churches have catered and tailored everything to build a bunch of consumers rather than actually call people to follow after Jesus in obedience. Because that's a lot less sexy than just building a big church. And I get the temptation. Am I right, Mike? I get it. We look at a budget and we're like, holy smokes. And so we just, it, it's easy. But I also believe one day that, that I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, hey, Corey, how did you use the gifts that I gave you? And how did you equip the church that I gave you to pastor? And I don't want to have a bad answer for that day. And so, one, it starts in our hearts, but two, it's, it's on us too. The church has let, let us down in many ways. And I'll apologize on behalf of the church at large. And on, on our church, we've let you down at times. It's going to happen again. We're people. But I think that's why it's so hard. I realized that I skipped over several verses. That was intentionally. And so I just want to touch on these real fast as we, as we wrap up. God has called every one of us to get in the game and to use our gifts. But then he's also called some to shepherd and pastor and lead and equip the church for the work of ministry. So that's what he says in verse 11, right? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers so with that, let me just summarize that and just say church staff, right? Like he gave the church staff to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So often churches are built where the church staff does all the work of ministry. I'm still called to do the work of ministry because I'm first and foremost a Christian. But then my vocational job description is not to do all the work of ministry while you, while you just sit there. It's to equip the church for the work of ministry. My primary job description as a pastor is to equip you to live and do all that God has called you to do. That is my primary job, and, and Mike's as well, and anyone else who, who is an elder in this church, that is our primary job description, to equip you so that together we can do the work of ministry. Why? 
so that we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we all grow up into Christ. That's what it's about. That is my role, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that together we all grow up into Christ so that we're no longer children tossed about to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Our purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that we will all stand mature in Christ, representing him to the best of our abilities. But all of us do that together. You are just as much a part and a member and an owner of this church as I am. I use the word owner. It's a funny word. God's the owner, but I'm talking ownership, like investment. We're all called to 100% give ourselves to the body of Christ to build one another up in love. And I need you to do your part. And you need me to do my part. And we need every one of us to do our part so that we could grow in love. Grow up in Christ. Therefore, because of what God has done for us, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in a manner that represents Christ well. Working together in unity to build one another up in love. Don't just sit passively on the sidelines. Don't just be a consumer. God has gifted you to be a contributor to building up his body. For your good, for everyone else's good, but mostly for the glory of God. We don't want to get down to the end of the road and stand before the Lord one day and say, hey, I didn't really use the gifts. I just kind of attended and consumed. I didn't really contribute. I promise we don't want to do that. So in response to what he has done, let's get going. In humility and gentleness and patience, let's bear with one another. Let's build one another up in love that together we would grow up in Christ. You may be thinking like, yes, let's go. What's my next step? Maybe you're not, but if you are, here's your next step. Email me or text me. I didn't make a slide for this. It's on the website, Corey, C-O-R-Y, no E, dot Johnson at austinlifechurch.com, 817-709-9121. Probably find it anywhere and everywhere. That, that, is, that is what God has called me to do, is to help answer that question. That is my job title before the Lord. So would you reach out to me and let me know? And I want to help equip you for the work of ministry that God has given you because you have a role to play. And if this is not your church home, if you're just visiting, then go back to your church home and the same thing applies. Or if you're not sure and you're just checking out churches and you're like, I don't know if it's this church or another church, in love, commit to a church. Even if it's not this one. But commit to a church. Because that church, if it's another church, needs you. And if it's this church, we need you. Like we all need each other, the diverse body, to build one another up in love. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I'm grateful that it convicts, that it's alive and it act, it's active and it cuts deep. God, you, you didn't give us your word just to read like a magazine. You gave us your word to know you and to respond to you in obedience with our lives.
Holy Spirit, strengthen us to do that. There is an enemy who desires to steal, kill, and destroy. In this moment, right now, God, I know that the enemy is trying to distract our minds and our, our thoughts to not hear from you. So we're asking, Spirit, that you will remove Satan and his power and any voice that he has and that your voice alone would be what we hear. That we would see clearly the hope that is in Jesus Christ and that from that life where you made us alive, we would then walk in a manner worthy of that calling. God, for anyone who's looking for a church home, God, would you, would you just move them to that place where they can be a part of the body and they can play the role that you've given them? Whether that's here or somewhere else, God, build your church. God, I'm, I'm blown away that you would use someone like me. All of my faults and insecurities and and that's true for all of us, God. Like, why would you use us? You could do all of this with, without us. I think that just shows your kindness to let us be a part. We get to play in the game and celebrate the victory that is to come in Jesus. Thank you for inviting us in. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.